everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a coffee based on writers sitting around drinking coffee or quarantinis, talking about writing, publishing, and the whole creative process. We do not censor ourselves, so consider us PG-13. Your hosts today are John Schmidt and me, Jeannie Warner, with special guests Tiana Henson and Alice Cornwell. This is episode 41, The Writer's Identity. John, if you don't mind kicking us off, tell us the story of how we thought about what we wanted to talk about today. One of the things that I've been doing in this time of sudden more free time is having online writing sessions, which work really well. And um, using either the Pomodoro method or brainstorming together. And one of the writers I want to work with asked a question that spurred a lot of thoughts in me. And this particular writer is wrestling with some questions about identity. And it made me realize two things. The first one is that writing and publishing and making manuscripts allows you to explore a lot of things that normally you don't get to explore. Uh, I myself have published poetry in different voices. I used to have a little coterie of stuffed animals all who had different viewpoints, and I wrote poems of them talking to each other. But in this particular case, this person is wrestling with some of the issues related to gender and binary identification and fluidity and and non-binariness, and I don't myself have good advice for them. They are looking for ways of being, and that led to, first of all, I would like to discuss that, and I know some people who have wrestled with that, and second of all, I have a rant about this. Uh, I'm going to give it right now. Every time that we identify a, a new group, that a new identity arises, we actually end up getting a new novel. No, novel is the wrong word right now. It's used in connection with a bad thing. Uh, a new media form that I find very interesting. So the rise of the novel form which was poo-pooed heavily, was, of course, when female writers became accepted. And I I hold that as a thesis, although I don't have all of the parts of it. So anyway, I want to discuss the fact that your identity informs your writing and that it's very important as you identify your identity that you... um, write and portray it out. And I would like to ask a couple people I know who are more versed in gender identity, and that is our guests, uh, what their opinions on this are. Tiana, Alice, what do you you think? So uh, I'm, I am a non-binary person and it is, it is, it is a realization that I came to in the last couple of years or so. And um, I think one of the things that you mentioned that your your writing friend had commented on is that there is not much representation of non-binary people in media and anything along those lines. And as a non-binary person who came into it as an adult, that has been incredibly frustrating <laughs> because there there are as many ways to be non-binary as there are non-binary people. And that's true of any gender, right? Like there are as many ways to be a woman as there are women and there are as many ways to be a man as there are men, but there are representations of men and women in media. So people can say, I am more, I am more the cute woman. I am more the power driven woman. I am more, you know, these different 
lines that people are able to say, I am more like this. And non-binary people don't have a lot of that because, I mean, what defines a non-binary person in media? Like, I am a non-binary person who still uses she, her pronouns. I don't like they, them pronouns for myself. And I, and I, and I mean, I use them with everyone whose pronouns are they, them, but those aren't my pronouns. Um, I kept my first name, which is a very feminine first name, Tiana. But I changed my middle name to be Ren, which is another name that people call me, and it's more neutral when I'm in a more neutral mood. I don't bind all the time. Most of the time, I refer to myself as a genderless gremlin. I, I wear, you know, sweatpants and oversized clothes because that's how I'm comfortable. So I guess that it all comes back around to... <sighs> I don't know what the new form of media is going to be with non-binary people, but it needs to be something that expresses how many different kinds of voices there are in the non-binary community. Yeah, I, I'm concerned with the idea that sweatpants make you non-binary, <laughs> considering that I basically only own, you know, sweatpants anymore in life and tights. <laughs> I, so, I think... <laughs> That's a matter of personal comfort. You're I, more famous for no pants, though. Well, adios pantalones. Adios pantalones. You live your life. It is here. Viva Pantastan, yes. And, and I think it's the expression of how you choose to do that. You could look exactly identical to the person next to you who considers herself ultra-female and by the third person who considers himself a man, regardless of what their plumbing happens to look like. And all of these sweatpants are, sometimes a sweatpant is just a sweatpant. Absolutely. And I know some people who identify as explicitly masculine who have an excellent time wearing a sundress in their free time. And that has no bearing on their gender. It's merely their presentation. Mm -hmm. And uh, sorry. Hello, I'm Alice. I'm chiming in. Um, but I, I completely agree with Tiana on this one, that it really is a matter of uh, representing the, you know, presentation versus identity is a really big um, issue, I'd say, in non-binary communities, is whether or not your presentation has any bearing on your identity. And having varied representations of presentation versus identity would be very helpful, and we're just not seeing that. Um, Exactly. And, and it becomes hard for the people that don't particularly have one way or the other. We are required to go by visual cues. So I worked with a lovely woman who for, we both on the night shift and she wore makeup every day and she wore nylons every day. And good God, the woman wore heels to work every single day. And I'm schlepping in here for my graveyard shift, barely wearing clothes at all. And I had to say, oh, oh my God, look at you. You're so well turned out. It, it, why not just slip around? And she looked at me. She says, I fought all of my life for 33 years for the right to wear makeup and heels. I'm not giving them up for anything. I'm like, I pause. I'm like, go you. Yeah. <laughs> and I admire the fact that you want to spend a couple hours a day on your appearance because good for you. And you're right. That should be anybody's right whatsoever. But I'm going to go sit over here in my comfy sweatpants. I, I love that. And it, it's... I think that touches on also something that I'm, I'm sure Tiana has also seen in especially the trans feminine community. Um, there's been a, a movement that says, I do not owe you femininity. Um, it's something we've seen a lot. I, I haven't seen it as much in the trans masculine community, but I have seen a little 
of I do not owe you the idea of presenting as your idea of that binary gender. Um, and, you know, some people say, oh, well, you're a trans woman, why don't you look more like a woman? Or if you're a trans man, why don't you wear, you know, more masculine clothing? And the idea is, is that, okay, that's your identity, that's your idea of how that gender presents itself. This is who I am. This is my identity. And you know that personally. You know that I identified this way because you said so. <laughs> so I'm going to dress the way I'm going to dress. I'm going to look the way I'm going to look. And as long as you know what my identity is and you respect that, then I am that. And there's nothing you can say that invalidates that. And that's something that I've seen some people say in representations. I kind of want to come back to that of the representations in media. We've seen a little, and I've seen some people talk about, especially when you have very binary presenting non-binary characters, you'll have people who refer to those characters as a man or a woman just because of the way that they present towards that binary. Um, it's one example that I want to uh, list here just because it's one of the few that I have is um, there's a really popular cartoon that's been around for a a pretty long time now. I think it's about five or six years old. Uh, Steven Universe. Hey! Really, really popular. Um, and a lot of the main characters, like a good bulk of the main characters, are actually non-binary femme-presenting people. But they're aliens, which I know some people say they're like, oh, you know, I'm not sure if they count as non-binary representation because they're not from planet Earth, and that's been in uh, kind of a hot-button issue, is whether or not they count as non-binary representation. And if I remember correctly, Tiana, I don't know, do you know if Rebecca Sugar, the creator, is a non-binary person? Yeah. I believe you said before that she uses she or pronouns, but is non-binary herself. Yeah, uh, uh, Rebecca came out relatively recently, I think toward the end of, of Steven Universe, saying that she is non-binary. And I mean, people, people can certainly make that argument about people like, like Garnet and whatnot, but Stevani is also non-binary when they're, when they're blended. So Right, so one of the main characters is a combination of two other characters who identify as binary cis uh, cisgender, meaning that they identify as their birth gender identity, I, I, individuals. So you have a cis man and a cis woman who fuse through some alien technology. But it, it's consensual. It's cute in the show. It sounds creepy on the podcast. But, <laughs> no, not um, really. I mean, I, I worked with a, a gentleman slash lady up at Microsoft, and it was very simple for us as you used she or her when she was wearing female clothes and you used he or him when he showed up in a suit. And it was the same person, but it was however they felt that day. And we didn't use they because I asked. And when I asked both her, him, and they were very specific. If I'm wearing a dress, please call me a girl. If I'm wearing pants, please call me a boy. I'm like, rock on. That at least makes it easy because, again, the visual cue is how I can't know what's in your head. I can't read anybody's mind, so, and it doesn't matter that much except for our language is kind of devoted for not as bad as the romance languages are, but third person, she, he, it, see, we don't have a, we use plural, but plural is very inelegant as a language. I'm sorry, it is. I know it's common right now, but when I'm Disagree. writing it, okay. So I'd, I'd actually like to redirect the conversation a little bit into what examples do we have other than Steven Universe, and thank you very much for pointing that out. I only know two, 
Uh, one is The Fifth Gender by Gail Carringer, uh, Carriger, which has a, and, and Jeannie, you're discussing gender fluid, which is a good thing as opposed to non-binary and the connection there is not always clear. And the other, of course, is Zale, the rat priest in several books by Ursula Vernon, who is The rat priest? Yes. Zale is a priest of the rat uh, god, is a solicitor. Look, you have to read the book. It's perfectly reasonable. The rat god is the one you go to when you have a problem that needs being solved without a sword because the rat priest does negotiation and provides lawyers. Yeah. They're wonderful, wonderful books. She, she knocked it out of the park again. Let's look 1928, Virginia Woolf, uh, the story of Orlando. Orlando and the movie. Orlando, yes, they made a movie off of it, but it was that uh, Elizabeth gave a bit of land to Orlando and said, as long as you stay beautiful, etc., this will remain yours. So Orlando simply didn't die and stopped aging abruptly in a very, um, I guess it's a Dorian Gray kind of way, but then woke up one day and happened to be a woman. I think in a lot of ways, we, the challenge that we are having now is because in many ways, in many societies, to be a woman is to be less than. You don't have exactly equal rights. I mean, body sovereignty, don't want to argue about here, but to be considered a female is considered less in most places around the world. So why would a man choose to be a woman in their minds? Why would you know a woman choosing to be a man, for instance, in Europe, historically, the challenge was, you are wearing trousers, you are assuming the place of a man and the rights and privileges thereby, which are not owed to you. Used to be things like voting, it used to be things like ownership, it used to be things like the laws are slanted in your favor if you were male. And that was why the, the custom for women to wear the trappings of a man was bad, not because of sexuality or anything having to do with plumbing, but as a matter of rights and law and property. Going back to my earlier question, what are the representations? Thank you. Um, one of one of the ones that, that I that I really like then and uh, was really emphasized with the with the television show is Good Omens. Um, according to, according to Neil Gaiman, when he was asked about it, all of the angels and demons are non-binary, just full stop, and they are called by whatever pronouns of the gender presentation that they most prefer, but they are non-binary. So that's, that's one of my personal favorites because it's like, yeah, you know, Azarafel is non-binary and he prefers to, you know, be a foppish English male, but he has also, trans he's also changed himself into a female before and there's no big deal about it. Loki I gave, yeah, I was going to say Loki in history gave birth. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Loki is monster. totally, Loki is totally non-binary goals though. <laughs> At least for me. <laughs> exactly so. I think that some of my favorite representations, its it's been one of my favorite kind of movements I've seen recently in social media is non-binary creators going back to their heritage and finding non-binary characters from folklore and from their, from their mythos and saying, you know, this is where my culture gets its idea of outside the Western gender binary, because for a lot of cultures, it has definitely always been a fixture of, of having not only the male and female identity, but also many genders outside. Um, so there are definitely representations in 
history and in, in stories, but the question is, what is our modern idea? What is in the mainstream? And what I've seen is I've started briefly, I've just recently, we've started to see more um, trans characters who are binary, not binary trans. Um, I remember there was a big, big movement not that long ago when there was a game that came out in the Dragon Age series that had a trans male character and everyone was really excited about it. Everyone loves Creme. Um, but the issue was still, okay, do we have any genderless characters who, or non-binary characters of any kind? Um, I do remember there was, uh, again, coming back to the issue that I brought up earlier with Steven Universe, is you have characters who present a certain way or referred to as the gender that they present as. So you'll have, like, the gems in Steven Universe are often referred to as women by people who watch the show, even though they themselves don't necessarily use that for themselves. They use female pronouns. But that doesn't necessarily mean identify as female. Um, it's something that we saw with, um, I think, I think if, if memory serves, there's a character in Farscape who's a plant character of some kind, and so their species doesn't really have gender, but everyone refers to Xan as a woman. Um, it's a lot of a lot of feminine non-binary characters. I've seen a lot of a lot of aliens, a lot of plant-based people. Like, oh, they don't have gender because they're plants or they're fish or whatever, um, which has been part of the issue. Um, so, I think the question of whether or not there are other examples is actually kind of a tricky question in itself, just because there's so many times you have, like, uh, in Doctor Who it comes up a lot in Doctor Who because there's all these aliens. Um, with no gender, and then they get referred to as a man or a woman just because of their presentation or name. Yeah, I've written two stories, one of which was a short little space opera jaunt in which I never stated what gender the captain happened to be because it didn't matter, because they, they, were, they were basically space pirates in a similar way to have imagined the, you know, in the kind of a Firefly universe, they're out there doing proactive salvage by taking over ships. And so kind of seducing them and wiggling their way in. And the captain, you know, kind of saunters up and admires somebody else with a switch. And some of them are female and some of them may not be. But the whole point about it was from the captain's point of view, the captain's gender does not matter for the advancement of the story. And that's why I wrote it exactly that way. And when I took it to the writing group, it was interesting that many of the group immediately said, ah, there's lipstick going on, it must be female. And it was only uh, a couple of these, those that know me pretty well, I think Madeline Robbins is like, she's like, you know, I'm gonna go that that could have been a male because uh, it could have been a male, really couldn't it? And suddenly the guys are like, oh, I, I guess it could, because she kisses the captain, she knocks him out, or he kisses the captain, knocks him out, looks down and says, ah, Captain Nico. Well, he was beautiful, and I could see that he was beautiful, even though the beauty doesn't move me, which is open to interpretation. Is it a female and a lesbian? Is it a male, and that's just not my taste? The whole point about it is, it doesn't matter. And that's what I hope to see more of, my angels, silence, and coffee. The angels do not have, each of them, a gender particularly. They don't have to have a gender because the gender is not pivotal to the advancement of the story. And I'd like to see more of that because then anybody 
can read a story and identify with it and feel part of it. And that and that's a very important aspect, especially since the the, the default of a lot of stories tends to be, you know, the gender of the writer. Uh, so a lot of people reading, you know, a Gail Carringer book, for example, will assume that a character is female until proven otherwise. That said, um, having having characters where the gender doesn't matter is difficult in a lot of ways because while gender shouldn't matter, it still does. And um, right right now, I think one of the, one of the things that I I would like to see more of a push for is more explicitly non-binary characters more people who are who are very much yes i don't describe to male or female and this is how i present myself and you know it's one of the things that i i i'm i'm looking to explore more of as a non-binary creator there is a beautiful i i do you guys remember the sad puppy movement coming up you know queers destroying science fiction and all that coming up how how dare you social justice warriors blah 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 we need more white guys fighting aliens you know out in our science fiction or just any a, character that wasn't cis male and just going right? oh but does, is it, it really important that they be this is it so really important that they be a woman or like well is it important so that my, they be a man Exactly. My biggest argument in all of that is when I go out and look on Duotrope, which is a really great resource. I've, I've pitched it before. There's others like it where you can go out and say, what are people soliciting for? I, I went and looked it out to say, what are they currently looking for? What is out there? They have things like awakening, um, satire, prose poems. They have masculine hurts. They have, these are upcoming themed deadlines of what they want to see. And a lot of this is like social justice. This one has self-love. This one has gender fluidity. This one is gender fluidity. This one is arrivals. So all of these areas that they're looking for in particular, when you look at them, like poems about the firsthand experience I'm reading out, a feeling seen or unseen, understood or misunderstood, ignored or scrutinized. They're, there is a market for it. There's a huge market that has become aware where people are saying, yes, we want more of this. We actually want fewer white boys shooting aliens, and we want this kind of stuff. So I feel like the sad puppies out there are saying, well, there's so much of this. I'm like, yeah, but that's where the market's going, and that's what people are wanting to read. Non-traditional, non-white boy, 12-year-old gets a sword, saves the universe literature. And I think it's really hopeful and promising, and it's a way that it should encourage all of the writers out there, you know, both of, both of you two and everyone out that's on the reading group to say, it's want, they want it. It's out there. There's local locations for it. There's places you can get published. You know, there's feminism and capitalism and studies if you want to go towards the female power side, uh, the consequences of myths under self-diagnoses. These are interesting topics and there are whole anthologies about them waiting for the voice of your stories so please write them so to to pop in on this for a minute i was just thinking about what you're talking about about the the market for it and i was i was thinking about what john was talking about earlier about what examples we do have and i kind of wanted to combine those a little bit to talk about something that i actually remember i was talking with a friend about the other day so a friend of mine and I were talking yesterday about uh, 
our identities and how we kind of came to form them and what representations in media kind of informed our understanding of who we were. And we were talking about seminal media in the, uh, in the gay lexicon, as it were, just like really big gay icons in media. And of course, one of the things that came up was Sailor Moon. A lot of people in uh, Tiana's and my age group are hugely influenced by Sailor Moon, considered a gay icon. I never really got it. I wasn't involved, but I, I asked her, you know, why is Sailor Moon such a huge deal to the gay community and the non-binary and trans communities? And my friend said that, you know, in Japan, two of the main characters are a lesbian couple and that, uh, or they identify as a lesbian couple. And one of the couple actually explicitly says in an episode, I am neither man nor woman. And so could be interpreted as a non-binary woman and specifically a non-binary lesbian, which is a big deal. And especially was a big deal in the nineties in Japan. Um, and you know, it was a big representation of girl power and femininity and celebrating the feminine. And so a lot of, um, I do know that a lot of trans women I know who are around my age really, really latched onto it. A lot of my bisexual and lesbian friends have really, really latched onto it in my age group. And I remember thinking about it. I was like, you know, I don't remember any of that being in the, in the version that I saw when I was a kid. And he said, well, when it was brought over to America, when they dubbed over it, those two characters were made cousins. And that was the explanation for why they were always together is that they were family. And so they cut out anything about, I'm sorry, I don't actually know which Sailor Scout it is that's non-binary. Um, but they completely dubbed over that bit. It was cut out and then they were just cousins. And it was like, oh, <laughs> well, there goes that. We couldn't have that for our children because that's not age appropriate. And um, that was something that really struck me is like, okay, even when there is representation in the original work, there's a lot of places where those um, characters, those, those possible representations are cut out with, are censored in other places. There's a lot of things I've seen coming out of Japan specifically where you have characters who were, um, you know, canonically trans or were just not presenting the, uh, not presenting along their traditional gender and are censored when they're brought other places. Um, I can't speak to a lot of other media just because that happens to be where a lot of my media comes from, but it's something I've noticed over and over again. So it's, it's definitely interesting to come back to John's point of where is our representation? What are we seeing? Because even when we get it, sometimes we're, it's taken away. Um, and that's definitely been something as uh, I, I do identify as both pan and bisexual. I just, I don't put much of a, a difference in it, even though I know a lot of people do um, for myself at least. And so a lot of times I have that as well. There are characters who can be, uh, who can be interpreted as, as bisexual or poly or non-binary or any number of other identities that I share that are then censored when they're brought to me. Um, and that is with being bisexual for a woman than for a man too. So it isn't even the same. We have a friend, Richard Melman, who's involved in local politics, 
and into a bisexual identity. And he says, and he was the one who kind of first clued me into, he says, you know, it's easy. Women like other women and other men. And that's kind of okay because guys, straight cis guys say, eh, girl on girl action. Yeah, brown chicken, brown cow. But the idea of a guys aren't quite a, afforded that same fluidity in a lot of ways. So it's, it's not even identical that way. Well, and that's the consumption of, of uh, female sexuality as well, which is a whole different topic. Yeah, we could go um, into depth on that one and let's just not right now because that's, <laughs> not, that's a huge topic. Right <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, we could have a, a whole different podcast about that. But, so um, I so mean, we will have a different podcast about that. And sorry to interject, Sale, your, your manus is both male and female. Yeah, Although in I, Japanese, it doesn't have the same connotations it does here. But back to you. Yeah, I'm... It's, um, and the fact is, I think that even, even if you go with the, with the interpretation that Sailor Uranus is female and just uses that term to say that she's not traditionally feminine and uses masculine presentation, that's still a huge deal. Yeah. Um, it goes back to that, that topic we were talking about earlier. There are as many ways to be a woman as there are women. And it's same for every gender. Um, there's definitely the, um, you know, I don't use neo pronouns uh, myself, but I do know a lot of people who use neo pronouns, uh, the newer forms that people have been coming up with. I did used to use uh, Zizir back when I was first identifying myself, uh, probably when I was about 15. So that was a while ago now, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm 23 now. It's been a while, but I've been questioning for that long mm-hmm. and probably longer actually. Um, and that, you know, neo pronouns have been a whole other thing. And you, I have never, ever seen a character use neo pronouns um, in my media, which yeah, people, doesn't people, mean they don't exist. People but. are are not comfortable with Zizir or um, one of the ones that I, that I've seen that I like is Faye Fair, where it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm totally Faye. I will go with that one. <laughs> the fantasy pronouns are definitely something I've, I've seen bun and bun self, which were, I think that was really part of the radical movement of like, okay, we're destroying gender. We're just not doing gender anymore. I'm, you know, I've seen some people who are just like, I'm Faye Fair. I am, I, my, my pronouns are the fairy majesty and nothing else. And <laughs> I kind of, I kind of love it in the way that it's just like so radical and being like, no, nope, we're done. We're done with gender. And especially going back to, um, you know, some of my family roots of the Germanic and the Irish um, fairy tales um, are, are really dependent on that day of non-binary genders. And I love that in, you know, that's about as close as we get for a lot of media. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. the fairies don't really do that gender thing. Their sexual dimorphism is very low and, you know, all have the elves and things like that. So, so I'm going to challenge something for you uh, kind of here at the end of this broadcast. I want uh, your job, Alice, is to send me a bunch of links that we can include in this broadcast of stories and writers who have used it so that other people can go look it up and see how they use it. So find me your favorite ones. Find me your favorite, whether it's, I don't care if it's manga. Use what, Jeannie? Different neutral pronouns, non-binary, non-specific. I know you said there's a ton. I can look up a ton. No, I said there isn't any. That was what I was saying is there's nothing. Okay, they basically (laughs) Um, don't exist. Then I'm going to say you guys are wrong, and I will come up with links for you. But I would like to say, what, what are they looking for? What have you seen? What have you read? 
And if we can find anything, we'll put it out there. And if not, uh, I'm, we're going to do a shout out to some different areas where there are small publishers that seem to be looking for those kinds of stories because this is all about people that are, I, I want you two to start writing stories and write the kind of stories that people like you would like to read. And I think that's important so that everybody's represented. So I will put those links that I find and other interesting things we mentioned on the website, which is www.writersdrinkingcoffee.com. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter. We love email, especially on this topic. You've been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. Our main web support magic is brought to you by Deirdre McGaffey Schween, and our sound engineer and backup web spider is David Welsh. Our intro music is Pretty Made Milking a Cow, and our exit music is Breakfast with a Morning Person, both by Michael Engberg. You can hear more from Michael Engberg on manyhatsmusic.com. Our podcast sponsor is Jackal Designs, enabling you all to buy cool WDC swag. We've got some new t-shirts up on our site, so come check it out. And if you want to buy one, that'd be cool. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.